The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hi, this is Dana Perkins, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNAF podcast. Today, we talk about battery metals, which are experiencing record high prices due to supply chain pressures, inflation, and demand growth. And it's no wonder, since the sales of electric vehicles and stationary storage have grown, which in turn require batteries and then in turn require the metals that they're made of. But with most things, it's not quite that simple. And that's why we decided to bring our lead metals and mining analyst on to the show today. So let's take a quick step back. And if we look at BNF's annual long-term electric vehicle outlook, they look at the future of what demand for electric vehicles could look like. The transition is underway and road transport oil demand could peak as soon as 2027. The electric vehicle market opportunity between 2022 and 2050 well, it could be $53 trillion, according to BNF's economic transition scenario. So in short, this demand sees no signs of abating in the future. But in order for any of this to happen, again, we're going to need more batteries and therefore more battery metals. So what's important for a metals analyst to consider when thinking about the future of supply and demand in this space? In order to discuss this complexity with us, and many of the factors just swimming around in his head, Kwesiam Pofo joins us today, and he is the lead analyst on metals and mining for BNF. To research more about these topics and to access the underlying data, BNF subscribers can go to the Bloomberg Terminal or BNF.com or BNF's mobile app. And I recommend reading the piece titled 1H 2022 Battery Metals Outlook Supply Turbulence Ahead. As a reminder, BNEF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear our full disclaimer at the very end of the show. And also, if you want to hear more of our shows on the future of energy, transport, and sustainability, and be alerted to when they come out, make sure to click subscribe on whatever podcast player you're listening to us on today. And now let's speak with Kwesi about battery metals. Kwesi, thank you very much for coming back to the show. Thank you, Dana. So the last time we were here, you and I discussed cobalt specifically, but today we're actually going to take it back and we're going to talk about kind of all battery metals because you recently did a market outlook for this group of metals. So as we get started, can you outline what are the battery metals? Yeah, so it really depends on who you ask, right, and which battery technology that you're looking at. For us specifically at Bloomberg NEF, when we talk about battery metals, we try to constrain it within the context of a technology called lithium-ion batteries. So lithium-ion batteries have become the dominant battery technology in the space that means a lot to us, which is i.e. Um, the electric vehicle industry and also the stationary storage. So what is a lithium-ion battery? So it's a battery where, as the name sounds, there's a lithium in there. So if you forget any battery metal, Dana, don't forget that lithium. The lithium part. Yeah, it's in the name. Exactly. What is in the name? Yeah, so that is number one. Number two, it also depends on which battery chemistry, beyond just having lithium in there, it depends on which battery chemistry. There are quite a number of them. But what we've come to realize is that there are few metals that are consistent with the dominant chemistry that is 
in our electric vehicles today, as well as in our stationary storage. So I would name just those ones that we believe are quite dominant and also from a supply chain perspective have a lot of importance because they would make the EV adoption dream happen ultimately. So number one, I've mentioned lithium. I also want to add another one called nickel. So nickel, you'll find it in, in Southeast Asia, in Indonesia. You can also find it in countries like Australia. And then third to that, you have cobalt. And you reminded our listeners of our interaction the last couple of months ago, where I had just returned from the DRC as part of my work to identify what is actually happening in the cobalt industry. So that is the third one. The fourth one, we have manganese. So manganese is predominantly extracted in South Africa. So they are the market leaders in the extraction of manganese. So that is also used as a battery metal. And I think in terms of cathode, so a cathode is the, if you ever had a look at a battery, there is a plus and a minus sign. So the plus sign represents what we call the cathode. So these four metals are the ones that are Bloomberg NEF we cover and classify them as the cathode. There is also a minus sign in order for there to be that exchange of energy, ions moving from one point to the other. So the minus sign on your battery is what it encompasses of a metal called graphite or a material called graphite. So all in all, then I've mentioned five materials or metals. We've got lithium, we've got nickel, we've got cobalt, we've got manganese, and then graphite. So for the battery metals that we're covering, or actually for battery metals generally, which are the raw materials that go into making these vehicle batteries that we're talking about as we're looking at electrifying transport, and that was covered actually in a previous episode where we talked a bit about the electric vehicle outlook that we put out every year. Do we have a sense for how much the cost of the raw materials, the metals, actually are in terms of the overall cost of the battery? Absolutely. So... This is also a very interesting area. So depending on which chemistry you use, you realize that a huge component of your battery is coming out of the metals. But I think the key take home is the fact that most expensive component, if you slice open a battery, is a metals in there. And by this, I'm not saying that please go slice open an electric vehicle battery to take the metals out. It's not safe. Don't do that. Although when you're done with it, Circular economy recycling, that's a whole nother show. We can have those battery metals like professionally extracted and reused. But anyway, I digress. We'll do that another day. So you're saying once you're in the battery. So once you're in the battery, so there are some chemistries where the battery, the total battery cost from materials would be about 60% of the total cost. So materials represent 60% of the total cost of the battery. And there are some chemistry, Dana, that it could go as high as 80%. Wow really depends on the battery chemistry, but those are the ranges that our clients and our modeling is telling us that it could get to. Do you think that when individuals who are doing development on the battery chemistries, I know they're looking at batteries that will last longer, have you know longer range in theory for these vehicles when they're making them. Do you think that they're also trying to remove dependence on specific metals and reduce the need for specific metals for various reasons, whether it be human rights issues around the extraction of that particular metal or around the costs, which is what we're really going to delve into today because the supply and demand side of things as we're looking at an inflationary environment and supply chain disruption certainly is hitting this industry as it is so many. Do you think that that is a place where people are specifically trying to change the chemistries to adjust to, or is it really much more around battery performance, battery life? So we actually looked at this question in our analysis and we singled out cobalt, right? 
we mentioned that a couple of months ago, I came here and we talked about my experience in the DRC and the fact that there is still concerns around ethical supply chain. At that time as well, the cobalt prices were at record high to the extent that one of the major mining companies, which extract cobalt, had to shut down the mine because the prices were not favorable for them. So what happened between that time, which was somewhere around 2019, and now is the fact that automakers reacted to first of all, the high price, and then the ethical challenges associated with the supply chain. What did they do? So remember how I just talked about the fact that there are different battery chemistries. In other words, there are different metals which form the cathode materials or the battery itself. So automakers realized that if they can divert to other chemistries, like the lithium ion phosphate battery technology, which uses lithium ion and phosphate, as its name sounds, and they divert from the high nickel chemistry, which uses nickel, cobalt, and manganese. If they could do this diversion, they would have saved themselves quite a lot of money simply because iron and phosphate are low cost metals. But then most importantly, they would have weaned themselves of cobalt because this battery technology does not require you to use cobalt. So that is absolutely happening. And when we run the numbers, what we've realized is that in 2019, what Bloomberg NEF thought would be the total demand for cobalt from batteries by 2030 have been reduced by half, simply oh, wow. because, which is quite big. Like it's, I think for me, it ended up being my favorite chart and also my most revealing experience during the production of this report. So you do realize that initially I was thinking, oh, maybe did we get it wrong at the beginning? Okay. But actually it's industry that is switching. So let me do a little bit of name calling. Companies that are actually switching to this ion, lithium ion phosphate technology. Of course, the obvious one, Tesla, which was a big surprise to me because if four years ago you had told me that Tesla is going to use a battery technology that is currently dominant in China, the Chinese company CATL is the biggest manufacturer of LFP. If you had told me that Tesla, an American company, will switch to a China dominant battery chemistry four years ago, probably have laughed, right? Mm -hmm. But that was the reality when Elon Musk danced on stage and opened his Shanghai factory. Months later, they announced that their entry model or the standard model, Model 3, is going to use the LFP battery technology in China. And there are discussions of even extending it to Europe. Just this morning, I woke up and then I heard that Ford has also announced that its entry-level electric vehicle is also going to use the LFP. Mercedes has done that already. BMW has done that. So you're absolutely correct when you mention that the demand side or electric vehicle manufacturers are very open to change and they will switch or react to conditions within the supply chain, be it prices or ethical concerns. Now for a very short break. Stay with us. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. So which are the battery metals that you would say are the ones to watch right now and which ones are having kind of the greatest constraints on pricing? It feels like looking at your children and then trying to decide which, <laughs> of, 
Which of the medals you, yeah. <laughs> I had a chat with our transport team led by Collins, my colleague Collins, about which of these is important, which of these should we highlight as the most at risk. And it turns out all of them, Dana. When we did the numbers specifically, so to be able to put that in context, let's just shorten the time frame. So when we looked at this year, which of them from a supply meeting demand perspective is the one at most risk, all of them. And it comes down to a couple of factors that we've been experiencing. And I know you talked about inflation earlier, but beyond just inflation, which I'll probably address down the line, beyond just inflation, you would realize that over the last three years, the world has gone through a not so good experience, particularly with COVID, right? We've lost some life, sadly. There are people who have not been able to recover and they are experiencing long symptoms. It's not really been a very good experience. But beyond just those experiences as well, the supply chain has taken a hit. And part of that hit is the fact that companies that were supposed to bring on production to meet growing demand had to readjust their capital allocation, right? If you operate in an uncertain market where you don't know what tomorrow is going to look like, you want to retain as much cash as you can on your balance sheet. So what that means is that if you are supposed to invest in expanding in Indonesia or building a new plant in South Africa, or even diversifying into a new market in the United States of America, you think about that twice, simply because there's so much uncertainty. And that is what happening at the supply side. That's what happened there, where companies failed to invest in their expansion programs, but demand didn't stop. China did not stop buying electric vehicles. Europe did not stop buying electric vehicles. They kept growing. So we are in this year where, hold on, we've realized that actually there's enough supply. Lithium is facing that challenge and prices have risen between 700 to 700% over the last 18 months. And Dana, if you're in a business where the price of your input commodity has risen to that level in 18 months, you might as well just pack, right? Because everything changes. And these are costs you cannot easily pass on to your consumer. If you look at cobalt as well, there are things happening in the DRC that is beginning to threaten some percentage of supply, which will make supply inadequate to meet demand. If you look at manganese sulfate as well, lack of investment in China and elsewhere in the world is leading to a scenario where the world would have to think twice whether there is enough to meet demand. Also, if you extend it to graphite, it's a little bit balanced. So I would say that I wouldn't be worried about graphite this year so much. But the interesting one is nickel, and we are actually quite bold in the nickel space and called a deficit that we might actually be heading into a deficit of about 37,000 metric tons. That's not much, right? But these are the things that drive prices and also slow down the adoption to electric vehicles. Because if auto companies cannot lay hands on these metals that are crucial to the production of batteries, they curtail manufacturing, they are not able to produce, and then it just extends the delivery of electric vehicles. And it begins to eat into our ability or electric vehicle ability to penetrate markets. Yeah, because this isn't just a discussion around prices and whether or not prices are high and those will get passed on to the consumer. It's about delivery of these things all together. Will we be able to make enough to electrify in the timelines that have been so you know, clearly outlined for us in terms of the carbon budget, for example, this being you know one of the key ways of decarbonizing transport? So. Let's talk a little bit actually just about where this might break down and whether or not we are already seeing or we think we may see in the next couple of years real slowdown in terms of 
you know, production and delivery of vehicles. Are there specific choke points that, that you're watching super closely at the moment where things are just not getting to where they need to be physically, given that this is a truly global supply chain? So we tried to use a qualitative way of, you know, testing the pulse of how this is translating to their consumer. And then obviously being, being there, we also very data heavy. So we tried to use a quant way of defining this. So Dana, if you have a friend that has ordered a Tesla or a Volkswagen electric version or a BMW electric vehicle, just ask them how the waiting time game has been going the last few weeks or the last few months. And I think not many people are having good experiences because the waiting time keeps getting longer and longer. And as Tesla reported in its recent updates, company updates, that material shortages or the supply chain shortage is actually becoming a material concern for them because it's beginning to impact the ability to produce. So that is a qualitative way where we realize that these supply chain issues are beginning to translate and impacting the end consumer. The second way we look at it is we do think that the tipping point for electric vehicle adoption is actually going to come from costs. Dana, if you walked in a showroom and you could get the price of an internal combustion, let me name call again, Corolla, the same price as you get an electric vehicle, Tesla Model 3, what would be your option? Which would you choose? Probably the Corolla. It's less expensive, right? But then if they were the same price as a Tesla? Oh, if it's the same price? Maybe the Tesla. Yeah, probably the Tesla. You <laughs> <laughs> see, and that is where we believe that it will be the turning point for mass adoption of electric vehicle. When you walk into the showroom and you don't have concern about, I need to pay extra money to be able to afford an electric vehicle, but then it's just a matter of which one appeals to be more. So I think the tipping point will be that price, what we call price parity. And our storage team has crunched the numbers that at what battery price would we attain price parity? And we came down to $100 per kilowatt hour, right? Mm. So now that is the holy grail number that we do believe that or we that the industry is working towards. At what point does the average price of batteries reach $100 per kilowatt hour? Fortunately for us at Bloomberg and the FR storage team has built authority in this area where every year we push out this report. And initially, prior to these supply chain concerns, our consensus based on our modeling, our forward-looking model, was stating that we could attain that price parity between 2023 and 2024. Guess what? That's feeling pretty far away. Yes, yeah, exactly. Once we started baking in a scenario of these higher commodity prices as a result of these shortages, what we are seeing is that the earliest we could now reach it, if these challenges, supply chain challenges extending to next year, is beginning to look like 2026. And if it goes even further out, these volatility goes further out, we could be looking at probably later in the decade, right? So that is also the second way where we try to quantitatively assess what the impact of these higher prices would be on the electric vehicle consumer. So one, I talked about the fact that um, find out from your friends, colleagues, family who have ordered an electric vehicle and ask them how the waiting game is going at the moment. And I'm pretty sure they will tell you that it keeps getting longer and longer. And two, at what point are we going to be able to attain a $100 kilowatt per kilowatt hour battery cost on average? And you realize that that access tended further than what we initially thought. And that is a point where we believe that EVs will reach price parity with internal combustion engine. And if that goes further out, 
then the mass adoption of EV could potentially end up being delayed. So you mentioned 2026 as a year, and I just want to be really clear on that. And I know it's impossible to predict the future, but we are trying to say, when do we all things remaining constant today? When do we think things may normalize? And I know in the you know natural gas space, for example, and we've covered that on this show, you know, originally it was, oh, it's going to be another two years. And then now that timeline is looking like it's it's, it's kind of going further away. Is 2026 when all things constant, you expect things start to normalize in the battery supply chain space? Or could it be significantly further out than that? So let me let me take our listeners to a behind the scenes of a report I published in January. Right? So in January, Bloomberg NEF published its first battery metals price outlook, where we're trying to look at where prices will be in 2030. And actually went on stage to confidently present these results at our San Francisco summit. So and the one that's happened? focused on batteries, right? Like that's one of the topics that comes up a lot at the San Francisco summit. Exactly. And I, and I confidently said at that time that based on where we are seeing supply chains and our modeling, we don't think that lithium price at that time was $40,000 on average per metric ton. We don't think that we will see it go higher. We potentially might have hit the roof at that time. Three months later, prices doubled. And then I have to do the hard and difficult job of presenting these reports to our clients every now and then. So what I did there now is that I'm rather than use that report as our forecast of the future, I use it to teach our clients how not to forecast. So I think that is how I'm going to answer your question, oh. right? <laughs> okay. So how not to forecast though? So what did you learn from that experience? Because again, you know, we can only make decisions, not decisions. We can only think about forward-looking scenarios based on the information we have today. But what were the moving parts that you now feel are potentially too volatile to be able to really confidently look too far out? The short term should not be detached from the long term. They are, they are, I think there are two parts really joined at the hip, right? And at that time, we're pretty confident that nothing in the short term would matter dramatically to impact our long-term average view. A month later, the Russia war happened and then it just changed. Mm. We, we organized supply chain again. So I think the key thing we learned is that you should one way or the other find a way to connect the short term with our long-term view. Now, that's number one. Number two, we need to also understand that if the historical challenges or if the historical factors that drove the market to where it is now have not been resolved, it's very important not to assume that the future is going to be different. And I think if we have thought about that a little bit more and realized that uh, the overhang, yes, I live in London. And if you, if you sat in a tube in London today, Dana, you probably assume that COVID doesn't exist anymore, right? But then if you go to countries like China, where they are still aggressively enforcing policies to contain COVID, you would come to a realization that some key markets that actually drive the commodity market are still under the not so comfortable or difficult impact of COVID. And that is affecting the manufacturing. So if we have thought about the fact that if these challenges that were experienced last year, last two years, have not been eliminated globally, still persist, then the challenge that drove us to higher prices will still remain. So that is lesson number two, right? And I think lesson number three is the fact that the market is not as rational as we probably assume it is, right? Where prices would only move based on supply demand. Sometimes government policies in key countries also impact prices. Sometimes 
short-term reactions like what is happening, which end up being long-term also impact prices. So I think these are the three things. And to answer your question as to where we see prices, so let's take number one. The short-term factors that are beginning to look long-term, have they been resolved? And the answer is no. If you look at Russia and other issues that we thought would just be a short-term issue, they are beginning to look long-term and they will continually impact supply chain. So will that, what does that mean for prices? It means that wherever prices are today, it's very unlikely that they will move below what it is today because those challenges have not been resolved too. COVID, issue of COVID, it's not been resolved yet in China, right? China is still aiming for a zero COVID policy and that is affecting manufacturing. So would we see a tsunami of supply come online this year? No. So if we are not going to see a tsunami of supply, but demand keeps growing, does that mean that we'll see prices begin to fall? Probably not, right? So I think these are the two things that I would say would probably lead us to having prices remain elevated, specifically for major battery metals in the short to near term. So until probably about end of next year, I would say that prices are likely to remain elevated. What I can confidently tell you that I don't think we will see a 700% jump in the next 18 months like we did the last 18 months. And that's exactly what we've seen in the LFP I'm switching battery chemistry, right? Because when you go beyond a certain limit, the market, you're just destroying demand because the market mm. will find alternatives. Now for a very short break. Stay with us. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. So you're saying that there are a number of things that have disrupted the market that, frankly, were fairly unpredictable. And one was around this Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Another one was around COVID containment policy in China. And another thing that I know that we've not really mentioned much, but is definitely actively affecting pretty much all commodities markets and anything moving from place to place is disruption within the shipping industry due to COVID and movement of, you know, things in ways that they weren't moving prior to that. And we're still kind of recovering from that a couple of years on getting ships back to where, you know, they previously had been to manage supply and demand balance. So here we are, we've got these points of disruption. You're mentioning that things are going to start leveling off. That's how I interpret you saying that, you know, the prices have risen, but we're not going to see them rise to the same volume as before. But within that, we still are going to see rises, right? Like things are still going to get more expensive. Exactly. So in the industry, there's something probably like most industries, there's something called demand destruction, right? And if you recall earlier on, I talked about the fact that based on what was happening in the DRC with cobalt and the fact that prices rose overnight to about $80,000 per metric ton, companies started looking for alternatives, right? So you destroy a portion of demand because look, Money has a way of really making people think beyond their comfort zone, right? If you are in a business where 
your commodity, your input commodity cost charms over a thousand percent in a matter of days or months. You don't just think about where you're going to look for money to pay that thousand percent increment. You start thinking about what could actually be substituted for this expensive commodity. And we saw that happen in the grid, the utility industry, where when copper prices shot up so high beyond a certain limit, companies realized, wait, hold on. Actually, aluminum doesn't conduct so good as copper. I think it can do the job, Dana. Maybe we can sort of create aluminum lines instead of copper. So that is what could potentially happen if prices rise as rapid as they did the previous month. You destroy demand and companies start looking for alternatives, new technologies, new ways of developing batteries, new ways of looking at the supply chain, new deposits that are not reliant on certain countries and people really start putting on the innovation cup. So I think that's what's going to happen if the trend keeps going that way. But what I can say is that I don't think it's in the supply side interest, you know, to push the ball further. So now I understand why the title of your most recent battery metals market outlooks a bumpy road ahead. Certainly there's a lot to consider here. Let me just back up and say that, you know, these are fundamental principles within understanding economics that are coming to light. And I don't think I've ever heard so many people discuss economics so often. How are we integrating information from economics, which is, you know, not historically something that we have researched, but we have a team within Bloomberg that does. How have you integrated this into your research? Because there seems to be an almost seemingly never-ending list of variables that is included in your analysis. And where does one draw the line? So there are two ways we look at it, right, from the demand side and also from the supply side. And I think let's start with the demand. And I like my holidays, Dana. I do. I try to go on one holiday. But then since I heard that there is a probability of a recession, I started thinking twice about some of the things that I actually do with my investments. So now I have a second look about the various subscriptions I'm on. And I think a lot of companies also start thinking about things this way whenever there are talks about a recession or an impending recession, right? So you realize across board, demand begins to decline. But what we've actually seen, particularly in our electric vehicle outlook is that one of the few industries that could be insulated is our view or is the electric vehicle industry. Sales of electric vehicles is expected to grow this year and it's expected to grow next year as well. Similar to when, what we saw during the pandemic where we thought that demand destruction will impact EV outlook and it did not. So I think for the demand side, the demand for these battery metals will still remain. What does economic recession and inflation do to supply? And that is where the dynamics is quite different. So Dana, I've always, I know I've promised I'll take you on a mine one day. If one day I get to do it, there are, two, <laughs> there are two things we, you would learn on the mine is that your three most important cost factors, number one, the diesel you use in your trucks. So you haul your large boulders, big rocks with large trucks. And to put it in context, if you're looking at a Caterpillar 777, which is a brand name for one of those mega trucks, a high loss, a Toyota high loss, right? If you put them side by side, the tire of the Caterpillar truck is bigger than a Toyota Hilux. These are monstrous equipment you're looking at. And you need barrels of diesel to fill them, to power them. And to put that in context again, if you are operating a 500,000 ounces capacity gold mine 
you will need about $130 million on your diesel annually alone. Okay. So that is one. Number two is your electricity bill that you will use to power your smelters and your processing plant. So this is also quite very, very important part. So about 30% of your cost is going into the electricity. And the third one is your labor. And across board for all these three things, what is happening? We've seen high inflation for diesel or gas, depending on where you are. We have seen high inflation on electricity bills as well. And finally, also labor cost keeps going and going because labor is gradually becoming scarce. So that is going to be the impact of inflation on the operations of mines, right? And what that means is that even though we are seeing prices elevate and all that, and people are thinking miners are cashing in, they're probably not because inflation is catching up with cost. And once this happens, you don't have that much money sitting around on your balance sheet to invest in new projects, to invest in new capacity, to invest in growth. So I think the biggest impact that this current inflation crisis would have on miners or mining company or companies that supply battery metals is the fact that, I mean, depending on where you sit, there will be much more capital discipline, just like I have been cutting back on holiday and subscriptions I don't need. Similarly, they would also be cutting back on projects that could have potentially helped us to meet growing demand in the future. They will have a second look at that. So that will be the impact of inflation on demise. But in terms of a potential recession, we still don't know for certain whether it will happen. What we do know is that it's very unlikely to impact demand. In fact, demand is actually going to grow the rest of this decade. So Kwesi, where do we go from here? What other question? These are the things I wanted to cover. So I remember watching a boxing game and it was a Ghanaian who had just fought in Las Vegas and he was asked the same question and he said, I'm going home after. <laughs> okay, fair enough. The shock answer is going home. But then I'm just not going home. I'm going to spend time to think about a couple of factors. So Kwesi, you know, as we're looking at this, I think this has been more of a discussion around complexity in this space as we're all trying to grapple with what this really means for the future. We know that demand for electric vehicles is, you know, up and right as many of the charts are, but this is definitely bumpy. This is changing how we think about the forward delivery of what the electrification of transport could have, could potentially look like. And it's a really important factor, as you outlined, huge amount of the overall cost in, a, in an electric vehicle, because the battery is a huge amount of the overall cost of an electric vehicle. So give me some final things to think about. What are the main things that I should just keep in the back of my mind as I'm looking to analyze this space myself going forward? Yeah. So number one, I think let's start with the optimistic things, right? It's the fact that demand growth is coming, that remains unchanged. And if we look across various scenarios of what the future holds economically for countries and us from a global perspective, I think that our the electric vehicle or the battery metals demand market is quite insulated and we expect it to grow up to about now we're doing quite a few millions in terms of material demand that could reach about 18 million metric tons by 2030 from lithium ion batteries alone. Number two, the lithium market is in a tight balance, right? Like currently there has been delayed investment and delayed production expansion that needs to change. That ship needs to turn and we need to see a lot more capital. My colleague Albert, who leads our global analysis every year, puts out a report, which looks at the amount of investment going in the energy transition 
And let's start with the electric vehicle. Last year, $270 billion went into the electric vehicle industry. At the same time, $7 billion went into the storage industry. At the mining level, less than $1 billion went into direct investment that went into products. So this needs to change if we need to balance the equation between supply and demand for lithium. Number three for nickel as well. There are certain things that are beginning to become a concern. Indonesia produces about 27% of global nickel supply. And if you look at Indonesia, where we are getting the supply from, those corners of the world are places that have one of the most polluting grids, mostly coal. I know the government is thinking about using hydroelectric power as well as other sources of clean energy for these mines and these smelters. But until then, they remain one of the most polluting. And if you think about the fact that the world would depend on nickel and by extension, Indonesia's nickel, something drastic needs to be done about that. Number four, I've talked about cobalt and I've talked about the supply chain challenges with ethical issues surrounding child labor in the GRC. In spite of the demand destruction that this has caused and the fact that companies have switched significantly to technologies like LFP, there's only that much that you can switch, right? Because mm. the has this limitation of range. And regardless of that, if you're looking at long range electric vehicles, you still need cobalt inclusive batteries, speaking generally, right? So we'll still depend on cobalt and demand will ultimately grow when you look at it from the overall market perspective. And as such, we cannot do away with the DRC. We've seen quite a number of companies actually moving to the DRC to work with artisanal miners. And I think that that will be the right thing to do where companies partner with these small scale operators to ensure they do the right thing. So we can bring their supply chain into the ethical sources of cobalt as well to ensure that we don't fall over a cliff. But then we do have consistent supply that would enable us to meet demand. And once we do that, prices will be contained and we wouldn't have the adoption of EVs being delayed. And I think the fifth one. I would sort of deviate from all that I've talked about in our report. And I would say that, um, don't panic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We've talked about turbulence, but then one thing that I have not talked about here, because obviously it's out of scope, is the ingenuity of human capability that we've seen quite a number of industries where there are points where you sort of hit the wall, but look, humans humans, human intelligence knows no limitation. Out of nowhere, there could be a potential new technology to extract lithium. And there's direct lithium extraction technology that a company, Lelac, is currently trying. Out of nowhere, you could have a different battery chemistry that would go to market within a short period to address some of these supply chain concerns. Out of nowhere, we're going to make newer mineral deposits, who knows, in the country like America, Europe, Southeast Asia, South America, which would ease the supply crunch here. Out of nowhere, we could have most of these supply chain issues resolved. And also out of nowhere, we could have world peace where the disruption, short-term disruptions that we are seeing now would be eliminated. And by then, these turbulence that I did talk about, which could actually impact CV adoption, EV sales, and the EV revolution, would have been resolved and I'm pretty sure that we'll get back on track. So don't panic. Well, on that optimistic note, Kwesi, you've certainly given us a lot to think about. 
I'm not so sure that world peace is on the cards underpinned by the battery metals market, but I do appreciate your very positive outlook on things. But also the fact that, you know, there's certainly maybe it's the better way to encapsulate from my end what you were just saying is don't panic, but do analysis. And also that innovation is central to not just this industry, but so many industries of the topics that we cover. And that certainly is true. I mean, the amount of change even just since we started doing this show, it's been a couple of years, not that long. And I have seen so much innovation and can benchmark it over these conversations that we've had. And, and just like you were saying regarding the, you know, cobalt chart that you were looking at and the, the change in battery chemistries, it's truly fascinating to see how things are developing going forward. So on that note, I look forward to having you back on the show to see what has happened in the battery metal space over the next year to a couple of years. And in the meantime, we'll keep producing market outlooks to ponder these. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Dana. And thank you to all your listeners as well. Today's episode of Switched On was edited by Rex Warner of Greystoke Media. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute nor should it be construed as investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording and any liability of this recording is expressly disclaimed. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.